say you gotta take what you want Only to find it wasn't worth taking Friends, welcome back. Get ready for some awesome. Every time you say that, I adjust the volume and turn you down. I don't know why, but y'all know who it is. It is Jonathan P. Stormit back on the podcast. How are you, friend? Awesome, and I love the uh, I love the pop song intro. You like that? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it totally makes sense. Hillsong, New York's looking for a new pastor, and you, <laughs> you're like, hey, look. Look, I can be, I can be the... Oh, oh gosh, coming in strong right there. Oh, man. I just found out we were coming into a pop song. I just oh, found gosh. out. Rest in- <laughs> Car- Carl Lentz's office isn't even cleaned out, and you're already promoting me for that. But uh, I, I'm not... Pro- but oh, uh, like you said, uh, anyway, Hillsong, New York, you guys have my email. Let me know what's up. And uh, no, that's, that's a terrible... Ah, uh, that is that is a rough, rough story. I assume most of my listeners probably have heard that uh, friend of the podcast, Carl Lentz, recently stepped down from Hillsong, New York, and it was just this last week. And I was so like, ah, yeah. uh, he he said in yeah. his Instagram post, it was not like we're gossiping or anything, that uh, he had to step down because of stepping outside of his marriage, having an affair, sure. and which has happened to a lot of good and godly people, and none of us are exempt from. I'm not trying to. Throw shade at him, just straight at you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. You know what's stuck with me is uh, someone posted something uh, close to the situation who, uh, you know, one friend removed from me and uh, very, you know, connected to him said, uh, you know, I appreciate all the sympathy that Carl's getting, but I want to like publicly denounce this. And she said this line that stuck with me. She said something like, um, Carl, you were handed, you were given a, a good hand and you just played it wrong. Right. And that is, so it, it's tough. Cause here, here, you know, I saw that and I, I thought two things immediately. One, Jesus is always very gracious to the brokenhearted and the sexually immoral. Uh, and the second thing, and this is something that we've we've also got to, in a world of Harvey Weinstein and the kind of uh, like permissive sexual ethic, the good news of Christianity ha- has a lot to be that sexual discipleship matters. Mm-hmm. And so part of what fuels, and, and again, grace upon grace, because that's who Jesus is, but uh, the the high bar of sexual discipleship and, and a lot of the grace that's fueled by this these days is that people are like, does it really even matter? Yep. And I think what that person was trying to say is, yes, it matters. It matters that you are faithful to God with your body, with your physical body and, you know, th- those kind of things. So there's a tension between grace and discipleship. And yep. I don't think the person who wrote that would deny that God's grace cannot just come yeah. Anyway, sorry to make a joke right out of the gate that became what we were going to be talking about. Yeah, no, no, it's that's it's a good pop song. Yeah, there you go. Um, yeah, I, that line though, like you've been given yeah. a good hand and you didn't play it well. Uh, I think that's really convicting. It should make every one of us sit back and go. This is what you have. This is what you were given. Uh-huh. And every one of us has a propensity to take a good hand and just to play it wrong. And every one yeah, of us, sure. and, and honestly, like Carl, obviously, you know, life was, he had a lot going for him. He had, uh, yeah. you know, uh, work, meaningful work, had, um, you know, a family that a lot of people would die to have and an opportunities that, uh, that he's able to do that not many people have. And you, you step that back even a few scales to what, you know, what many people have, you, you realize it still is a hand that you've been given that other people would die to have and uh, mm. take it seriously. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, hey, hey, hold on. One more thing. If we're going to, he can do his best work for the gospel now. Yeah. Not, you know, not pastoring Hillsong, but God's strength is never perfect in our, God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. Yeah. And there, this is not the end of what, God is doing it might be the beginning of the best stuff he yeah, does. Yeah, yeah, that's really good. So. 
Yeah, I, <laughs> I told this story last Sunday in my sermon, uh, but our friend uh, Jason Miller, uh, shout out Jason Miller, he tells us, like, it's not a great story for him, but he was doing campus ministry at Notre Dame, and he became friends with a bunch of these athletes, and Jason is like, he is to athletics what I am to music, you know? And so, uh, yeah, yeah. And so anyway, he's he's becomes like this mentor of a bunch of these uh, you know, athletes, and they're probably you know ten years younger than him. He tells a story where they're he's over at their house, and then like a um, like a big party kind of breaks out, and so he's like, "Yeah, I probably need to leave." But so he's walking out, and he walks out like the front, like the front, and t- there is a like a, a porch over the like the front door, and so he walks out, and there's like a bunch of starting football players and and the quarterback at the time, Jimmy Clausen, and somehow a football lands at his feet and he's 30 yards away from this porch at the time and he looks around like all these athletes and they're like, throw it back, throw it back! And Jay picks up the football <laughs> and he throws it and he says it goes like 12 yards <laughs> and then he walks away and uh, like that was like this <laughs> this moment when he was like, I really felt God was saying, like, you don't min- do ministry. You don't serve. You don't love people out of, like, your power and your being spectacular and being relevant. Like, this is all Jesus' temptations. But you do it out of your weakness. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And that's the meaning. Of, and that's the stuff in which you truly connect to people on a real level. And I, I think you're right. Like, yeah, yeah. out of a, a huge failure like this is an opportunity for him to connect to people in a real way in which, you know, being cool and popular and relevant, um, uh, you know, a lot of people are impressed by that, but it doesn't change people's lives. What changes people's that's lives right. is like their willingness to work out of their weakness, out of their wounding. So that's right. Yeah. That's a great story. Yeah. Oh goodness. Well, um, it is a special Sunday afternoon and we wanted to get together to talk about what's going on in our country. And we had that, that pop song. The, the real reason that I played that is because it's a new song, my friend Carp and, uh, uh, Carp's song, Can I Be Honest, is the name of that song, it motivated me to want to say, can we be honest and talk about politics? And so let's, let's give five things about what we've learned and our learning and our scene right now that we need to be honest about and talk about with uh, in light of the recent election. Does that sound good to you? Yeah, that sounds great. Now, uh, and you brought me on because of my great political expertise? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, one of the things I heard, uh, obviously your sermons, this is a Sunday afternoon, we usually don't record these on Sunday, so it's kind of weird right after service, but uh, I heard your, your sermon this morning, you started off uh, with the the opening line, you said, uh, it, it appears now that President Trump is no longer allowed in the White House because it's for Biden, which is, I thought, like, that's a weird <laughs> intro, but I guess it works. So <laughs> that is obvious. That is not what I said. My first line of the sermon was, uh, "Kid you not, the Razorbacks won." <laughs> so <laughs> my idol, my idolatry is in a different place. Yeah. Luke. Okay. All right. All right. Well, let's do this. Let's do. Um, here are five things that we want to be honest about. Okay. Here's the okay. first one. One of the things that we find across our country is you have people who are angry, you have people who are excited, some people who are discouraged, some people are very hopeful, some people feel relieved, and some people feel the opposite of that. But the one thing that we all feel is fatigue, like we're all tired of what's going on, yeah. and maybe if we are honest enough to listen to what's underneath those emotions is the tendency for us to give far too big of a platform and a voice in our life for the American political system there's that uh, oh, there's that story yeah. Mark twelve where Jesus is like this trap in which the Pharisees say and the Roman officials say, "Hey, what are you going to do about taxes?" And the Jewish people wouldn't pay taxes because it means someone is sovereign other than God. And the Romans say, "If, if you're not paying taxes, then we're going to you know like we'll kill you." And so we, we'll kill you. we have this trap. And Jesus says, "Show me one of those coins. What's on it?" And it's the image of the emperor. And in some ways, what Jesus is doing to the Pharisees is going, look what you're holding on to. You have a graven image to someone who's not even God. You have a graven image to Caesar. And I think part of what he's doing is saying, what are you holding on to? And I think if we're honest, if we listen right now to what's going on, whether it's the highs or the lows, whatever it is, that it has this undue place in our heart right now. Yeah, I mean, it is... We have put far too much weight on the American political system. And by we, I mean the collective we, you and I included. Because Mostly you. I mean, my, <laughs> I'm, and I'm, I'm glad to confess your sins. The, I think, you know, the last 
uh, four years ago, I was, you know, all about the kingdom of God, never rides in on Air Force One and mm-hmm. all those kind of things that are true and cliches, but true. Um, and then when President Trump was elected, I had this crazy sense of anxiety hmm. um, that was, man, that guy's going to have the nuclear codes. Um, and um, I, then I, I came, I moved back to Arkansas, which all, and all my, my closest, my parents, my close, all my family members, my closest friends, they had the opposite reaction of that. And that was just kind of one of representation. And, um, yeah. so with this election, I feel like I was, I was not as anxious but I still have too much of that in me. Um, and again, you know, I, I vote for Jesus almost every time. Uh, the, I am not a very political person, but I realized that I was putting way too much weight on this. And I think judging from my social media feeds, that's a problem we all have. Yeah. Have you seen this uh, Ezra Klein stuff when he talks about mega identity politics, where the idea that modern politics has put layers of identity into parties and people vote identity more than specific candidates or policies? And so the idea of, you know, your vote, it's correlated with your understanding of who you are and your identity. In some ways, this is some of that... um, it's some of like the Christian makes the best atheist stuff we did on, on politics and power, or it's what um, yeah. David Zoll did with his book, Seculosity, where our our political allegiance has become a form of our rightness and our righteousness, and it defines us. And so there is this, like, on the one hand, yeah, I get like you want to be represented and you want to have like your vision of the good life put in office. But another part of it is that like I, the way that we define how good we are is is by how we act in this theater. Huh. Yeah, no, that's definitely true. I mean, I feel like, uh, so our point with Christians make the best atheists is whenever people turn away from God, they're always turning to other things. And historically people would call those idols or gods. And, um, the same kind of religious metrics that people use when religion goes bad to justify themselves. You know, look how often I go to church and yeah, yeah. I'm better than, those people, because I don't drink or cuss or whatever, um, we do the same thing in the in service to political idolatry. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, it's great to feel better than other people. Mm-hmm. That's why you do it. It's a but it's a poison pill. Um, and did you read Richard Beck's blog a couple of weeks ago about doing the hard work of a political theology? Mm. Yeah, I missed that. One. Uh, it was really good. It, we're we're recording this on November 8th, so it'd be probably end of October he wrote it. But it was really good and helpful, and just talking about how he, he confesses he has not done the work to love his political you know, enemy and, and those kind of things. And I, I thought that was really helpful because um, I, I think we've invited a lot of stuff into our life without learning spiritual disciplines on how to carry it lightly. Mm -hmm. Like ideally I would go to the poll on to, I would, you know, research candidates, go to the poll, realizing I'm one of a hundred and something million people who are going to vote. And I would hit the buttons and then I would walk out of there and feel, you know, proud that my vote matters as much as a billionaire's. Mm -hmm. Um, You know what I mean? But, but not, you know, watch the news every night or, you know, for the next hours to see, did, did I pick the winners? Yeah. I- yeah. Okay. So let me transition to the second one. The second one is, can I be honest that we need to pray for our enemies? And mm. I think that's, mm. you know, part of what Beck is getting at is that we, uh, you know, we don't do the work to love other people. And if there's anything that I felt like I personally learned from the last election when Trump first got into office was that we don't listen enough. And so the idea that, you know, everyone was saying there's no chance that Trump has, and the same way that right now you had both, like both groups were saying, and and these are conversations I had with my own friends who were on either side, both, both groups are saying it is going to be a landslide for my side. Oh, I know, right? Everyone was, yeah, everyone was saying it's not even going to be close. 
and that's the one thing it wasn't. It wasn't a landslide. <laughs> so we have a deeply divided country. And I, did you did you ever pray for President Trump in church? Mm, I would have. Obviously, I've prayed for President Trump in in service. I feel. I think I have. I, I would be shocked if yeah. I haven't. But we 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 prayed for him when him and the first lady got the coronavirus. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't. And in our fellowship, we don't normally pray for political people. Yeah. In you know, but um, we we were bringing in like the mayor of Little Rock when we did War Memorial and the governor of Arkansas last weekend when we were you know. So it, it felt kind of natural to do that. Uh, Especially because, you know, that would have been really bad globally if the president died uh-huh. of coronavirus, you know. Yeah. But I, I don't feel like it's possible in this environment to pray publicly for a leader without acting like you're just endorsing everything he or she does. The, the guy you had in wasn't – isn't the governor of Arkansas Republican? Is it Huckabee, yeah, the, right? The mayor – no, no. That, that's a long time ago. Uh, that this is Asa Hutchinson. Hutchinson, it was, the governor. sounded very similar. Yeah, and then uh, the did, mayor of Little Rock is a Democrat. So. Oh, so you had who did you have in the mayor or the we had the the mayor of Little Rock who's a Democrat. We had in last month, and then this month we had the governor of Arkansas. Oh, who okay, is, uh, a Republican. Oh, so okay, so trying to be very nonpartisan about it, but also praying for our leaders because you know that's in the New Testament. Yeah, yeah. So was praying for our enemies. Yeah, yeah. To your point. Yeah, but I, I think the the action of getting both a Republican and a Democrat, which I obviously missed, um, like that that in some ways kind of couches it. And this is the stuff that Scott Sauls was talking about, where he had you know the governor of Tennessee and then Michael Weir both in the same service, you know, speaking. Uh, you know, words of of grace and gratitude for the other party. Uh-huh. And it's the same idea of when you pray for your enemies, what happens is they don't stay your enemies as much as they yeah. were before. And in some ways, you know, the words of that um, song by The Brilliance, um, when I look, look into the eyes of my enemy, I see my brother. And as you pray for someone, it, it changes. And as you listen, and as you yeah. become empathetic and try to understand where they're coming from, it doesn't let them remain in the same sort of distance place where you often have put them. And that's, I, I think that's yeah. the thing about the listening is that we weren't doing that. We weren't trying to understand where someone was coming from. So all you hear is sort of the, you know, the talking points that you get from one side or the other side that kind of characterize who these people are. And so I, like you hear this from, you know, well-intentioned people, and, and I've heard this, you know, where someone would say, you know, Democrats, they just like to vote for the poor. They don't actually really come out and serve the poor. And I want to be like, would you like the, the names of people who are here doing this in our church? Or you hear people say, you know, Republicans, they don't care about, <clears throat> you know, immigrants or refugees. And I want to be like, um, here's the group at our church who literally are refugees that actual Republicans are serving and driving to church and in their life yeah. that actually know them by name. And so it, instead of staying at the distance with these sort of like easy characterizations of other people, I think praying is the beginning of like an active listening process of trying to be caring and loving towards the other side. I want to, I want to do this thing at PV on Wednesday nights when we start visiting again called thirteen five, based on first Corinthians thirteen five. Love is not easily offended, mm-hmm. where you basically have, uh, because I think these people are all in our churches, mm-hmm. um, and they they have, you know, these political ideas, they are often being discipled way more than they should be by cable network news, um, but they also have, you know, they're, they're trying to live a good and godly life. Today... <clears throat> Someone stopped me and said some very politically charged things after second service. And you know how it is after preachers preach. You're just like, what do I have to say to end this conversation? <laughs> you know, like if you're really tired and I'm an extrovert, but I was just really tired today. And um, I didn't feel like talking about politics, but this person said a very political thing. Um, he was disappointed in the outcome of the election and whatnot. But I also know that this guy is a Vietnam vet. Hmm. And he he was asked to do some really hard things over there, and he uh, he he wound up killing some people and brought a lot of shame and guilt back home for that. 
And then he comes home and soldiers are incredibly unpopular. There's this movement of like people who shame soldiers for doing what it was. They didn't even, some of them didn't even get a choice to sign up for, Yeah, you know? And um, so he's, he's seeing some similarities between that and people on the far left. And so he's got his own kind of stuff going on that would be helpful for people to hear. Yeah. Like, um, and for him to hear from other people, like, Hey, we thank you for your service and sorry you had to carry that weight by yourself without people. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, Veterans Day is obviously coming up on uh, Wednesday this week, and I was talking with a buddy of mine that uh, I work out with, and uh, you know, say, "Hey, I'm, you know, take you to dinner, or whatever, on Wednesday." And oh, yeah, you don't have to do that. Man. Well, we can, we can grab some barbecue after we work out, and yeah, yeah, whatever. He goes, uh, "Yeah, come do this workout." So there's this CrossFit workout called Murph, which is a workout that's named after a fallen soldier. And often the work it's like you run a mile and then do like a uh, hundred. It's air squats push-ups and uh pull-ups and then you run a mile again and like the real hardcore people wear a 20 pound vest while they do this and this guy what and this guy uh now sorry he was a, he's an army ranger uh he, he's out now but he was an army ranger i like that you and, just described all those things that are super hardcore and then you go and the real hardcore well, people yeah and so anyways <laughs> like it's okay. It's a ridiculous workout for this guy who obviously was a great athlete, uh, along with being a, a soldier. And so I asked him, I was like, so are you one of those hardcore people that also wears a vest while you do this? And he goes, yeah, I do with all my names, with all my guys' names. And I was like, how many, how many guys are your, and these are his fallen soldier friends. And I said, how, yeah, how, yeah. how many names are you carrying on that vest? And he goes, 15. Thought, wow. And there, I mean, there's, yeah. there's something that, like there is a vastly different experience of life that this guy has that I will never fully understand. Yep. Yep. I got a Bible study on Sunday nights with, you know about it with some nuns and several of Not, them are soldiers. Let me clarify nuns as in N O N E. What's yeah, it called? What's don't. the Bible study called? Nope. 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 Not going to go <laughs> there, but, uh, the, the several of them are soldiers and they, you know, have seen action and, yeah. and different, stuff and so i'm actually trying to connect one of them with that vietnam vet because oh interesting uh yeah yeah um i think they could help walk through some stuff with each other wow yeah so all right so can i be honest here we go here's the third one from stormant i i think the one thing one of the things we need to bring out of this is the ability to um admit that we might have been wrong Mm. Uh, there needs to be some epistemological humility, you know, um, that I think every person needs to become aware of. There are different epistemologies, a big fancy word that means how do you know what you know? And honestly, how I know what I know is from news sources that have shaped me in lots of ways and not all of them are entirely objective. Yeah. Uh, in fact, very rarely they're entirely objective. And the opinions of the elites have so shaped me that uh, that people. So I, I've kind of you know last couple of years I've been back in Arkansas around these good down home people. Um, and it's not just white people. It's also, uh, you know, there was huge gains that Trump made in every demographic except white men in this election. And so it's not just like, you know, while, while the majority of people of color probably did not vote for Trump, uh, and while, you know, the black voting bloc is not a monolith, it does tend to lean towards the Democratic Party. But there's this huge increase of immigrants and or uh, um, Hispanic uh, people, and I, I still don't think we know what this means. Hmm. I don't think we know. And one of the things that I I'm in the middle of doing, just like in 2016, is realizing, okay, well, what in what ways is the places where I'm getting the information on which I'm basing my decisions. In what ways do I need to evaluate yeah. them and their 
and they're because I don't see a lot of people having epistemological humility. I, I think we, we kind of double down in moments like this and we see the worst in the other people. And so it inspires the worst in us. Mm-hmm. Um, the, and, and instead of asking like, okay, are, are you sure that Fox news is, is objective? Are you sure that the New York times is objective? Um, the, and again, I know to, to two different people that those are crazy questions. Cause of course they're not objective. Yeah. You know? But w- it but. seems like everyone can see the evil and the error in the other news source. I can definitely that's, see yeah, it what I'm in saying. what, what they're doing, whatever that one is, whichever one you can see it. But I think the humility says that the devil I see in them is the devil. It's also in me. And mm-hmm. the inconsistency and the willing to insert their narratives that, that they do, I can see it so clearly in them that it's probably a mirror that what I'm also receiving is equally slanted. And maybe yeah, e- maybe right. equally isn't the right word because I'm not saying that they're all the same and that, that some aren't worse than others. I'm not saying that. What I am saying, though, is that the same, the same devil that causes them to be that way is capable of doing the same thing in me. And yeah, uh, yeah, I think that that humility piece is is extremely important. We've got to be be honest about that. Yes, and I, I mean, I, I feel like the the fury reading, outrage fury, you know, the kind of outrage porn that is out there these days, where you can find whatever you want to just make you. But it, it, it works on what we yeah. were talking about earlier about the self righteousness that you feel when you see those idiots who believe that you know. And it's yeah, it's the same thing. Like where it's uh, you know you see the story about so and so owns liberals and shows them how stupid they are. It's the same thing that you watch mm-hmm. when you see SNL and they're bashing Trump. Like where you have this scarecrow argument, and what it does is it makes you feel really good like that. The, the devil inside of you, the evil in you that likes to tear down your enemies, that likes to think the worst of them, the likes, the, the, the part of you that likes to give them no benefit of the doubt, it just feeds on that. Yeah. And it just kind of, it just lets you wallow in that like pig pen of That's like, right. of hatred, of, you know, apathy, whatever uh-huh. it is. So, you know, when I was at Highland, it was more, uh, you know, working with AC students that went to Highland. It was more of... Hold on, um, you're saying there's more ACU students at Highland than at Pleasant Valley? Yes, but there was ACU students that, you know, it was during the presidential election of 2016 and and all the stuff that happened after. Oh, wait, so, so you're, like, of, the 2016, you're working with people who are probably more on the left, and 2020, you're now in a community with people yeah, who are far with, on the right. Wow, okay. Right, yeah. So they were they were, you know, super angry about whatever... You know, yes. thing Trump had tweeted late, later, latest, or the size of the inauguration, or you know his blat- whatever it was, and they would get really worked up about that. But then um, a couple of weeks ago, a guy who's a Harding student, but who he was baptized, uh, grew up in a church, and um, now he kind of characterizes himself as a nun, and he realizes he he doesn't take he he doesn't think Jesus Church, but he's kind of wrestling with it, like. He, did, he was an atheist for a year or two, and now he's kind of considering. But he worked for a man. I got to be careful about the details I give here. He worked for a, a Republican super PAC, and around people who had just stupid money. Hmm. And um, one of the things he realized that if he was to come back to faith in Jesus, he would have to give up something he loved very much, which was in his words, owning the libs. Because it's not enough to put together good political policy. It's not enough. He loved demolishing progressives. And it, I, I, I saw that and I was able to realize, okay, that, that is, um, boy, that's wow. a, a he, I mean, he, he's spot on. Like, he said it out loud. He said it out loud, yeah. Wow. He realized. You know what's um, crazy is many people find in religious communities – a spirit that is emboldened by faith to do that kind of stuff, to own whoever, whatever group that is. Well, now because of your faith, you're, you're living that out by doing it. And instead he sees that the way of Jesus is kind. It's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's loving. 
you know, I read where, you know, someone was saying, uh, this someone on the left, uh, some tweet that someone else had liked, and so it showed up in my feed, and this person said, you know, what should we do for all those people who supported Trump? And and she said, you know, I found this uh, Christian verse, and it was like a verse from Leviticus where, you know, you have a, you know, an emboldened kid who's disrespectful, and so they stone him. And she said, this is what, you know, this is what we should do. I'm like, that Yikes. that is not Christian at all. Like, that is the antithesis, yeah. <laughs> of that like, that's a Jewish teaching. Yeah. That is not Christ-like. And yeah for your for this person to to realize like that that his discipleship caused him to change that like that's that's very uh insightful much much respect to him for getting that yeah I, well he ha- he hasn't he, he it's still on the table yeah he's L- at least he, he's but at least he gets the call yeah, gets of discipleship it. what it's asking him to give up and, and I, that and that's the thing like um i think there's a lot of people who would be like yeah sure i'm a christian yeah I, but i love owning the libs or i love you know yeah, um, or trashing Trump followers, or you know, mocking the MAGA people. Yeah, everyone on each side, you know, has the same version of that. So, okay, so let's uh, let's talk about talk out of the other side of our mouth. Can I be honest? Number four is just because God on the is on the throne doesn't become an excuse for apathy. Did you see? Yeah. Uh, did you see Palmer's tweet about this? Sean had tweeted something out that seemed to go pretty. Uh, pretty viral on this subject that God was on the throne you know, during the Holocaust. God was on the throne during Auschwitz. God was on the throne you know, during genocide. It, it doesn't give us an excuse to be apathetic. Instead, it should in- empower us to be active right now. And so mm-hmm. th- there's an attitude that if uh, that God's on the throne, so it doesn't matter what happens here, we can be apathetic. And on the other side, there is the critique of moderates who go well you know you can't be moderate because to be moderate means you're not standing up for anything and so i feel like there is a tension that to understand that god is on the throne that the kingdom of god is is coming into be that we must participate in that but that doesn't mean we have to align ourselves with a political organization to be the most expedient way to enact that and so i think that there needs to be uh, an understanding that righteousness and justice calls to action but it doesn't mean we have to trust that the political powers that be are the most expedient ways to be about that. Yeah, which is a big fancy way. Let me let me say that differently for all the Arkansans listening. The uh, basically is uh, the are politics the only way you're going to change anything in the world? Because I actually think it's it changes very little. Uh, now, it Martin Luther King, King Jr. had that thing about. While the, the law can't make can't make people love me as a black man, they it can enforce them not killing me or lynching me as a black yep. man. And so, yes, that's 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 good laws and good government is is good. Good government is better than bad government. Um, but there is only so much politics can do, and I think. We are way out of bounds on what we're what we're putting our hopes in. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, J.R.R. Tolkien, um, good Catholic Christian. He said, "As a Christian, I actually believe history is one long series of defeats, mm. of slow defeat. Mm. Like what the Christian hope is in is in the new heavens and the new earth, and you know that's where Dr. King quotes that." Uh, I have a dream, you know, righteousness. Well, he's, he's quoting a vision of that, mm-hmm. of righteousness rolling down like a, you know, lion laying down with the lamb and all those kind of things. You can't vote that in. Yeah. But what we can do is be a colony of that place here and now. And so I, I feel like, and Sean has actually changed my mind on some political stuff. So I, I get that, but I don't want to give too much to that because I do think often people say God is sovereign and then they use that as apathetic. But what I would say is God is sovereign. You live in a democracy, so vote. But if God is sovereign, that means he's sovereign over me. Yeah. That means he is king of my life. And so I'm going to put my head down and I'm going to do the stuff that's within the sphere of influence that I actually have to do. And as a preacher, uh, I actually think the sphere of influence I have is pretty significant for stuff that could make the world better. 
if the local church lived out the kind of values of heaven, um, then I think I, I don't think that's apathy. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I think being a political moderate, um, who who cares? Like, if you're a political conservative or a progressive, if those I mean those ideas need to be debated and and whatnot, but the to assume that my my vote is one in the drop of a, an, a bucket, like it is just a huge ocean in a drop of, and voting matters and it's important, but it is not that important. Hmm. It is not an act of worship. It's not a. Um, anyway. Yeah, it's not the highest calling you have, and so you know, the critique of the the moderate is that it's coming from a place of privilege, where if you are privileged enough. That you can say, you know, this isn't important. It's because, um, you know, it doesn't affect you. And so the critique is, you know, you're someone like myself who thinks, you know, as someone in, in my life that I can be moderate, I can be apathetic because the effect are are not as drastic that other people experience. And so I, I hear that, and I understand that, you know, my experience would make it comfortable for me to not be you know, where some people would want me to be on this. I, I, I get that, but I also think the powers and principalities of this age are not neutral and that they're always calling us to give more than we can give when it comes to the world of politics because politics will always ask for more than what a Christian can give them. And you know who's really good on this is Michael Weir. Yeah. Uh, he, you know, his thing after he was on staff for Obama um, and his big thing to Christians is, do not give your hope or your fears to politicians uh, because they will abuse it every time. Mm-hmm. The, the, um, anyway, anyway, he, that polit- Reinhold Niebuhr, the theologian that most influenced Obama, he said that basically what Reinhold Niebuhr's big thing is that politics and power, political power can only, it cannot promote good. It can only, prevent evil hmm. that's what it does at its best it that's limits good. evil and um so I, I feel like if you give too much to politics you neglect tending the very thing that uh, tending to the very thing that maybe god puts you in this life for yeah. the good thing that god put you in this life for, mm. instead of being against everything what are you for you know yeah, yeah. Uh, that's good. That's good. All right, man. Uh, get us this last one. Can I be honest? It's time for us to compromise. It's time for us to come out of this learning how to compromise. I, I think the neither party got a clear mandate um, that, yeah, we're, I mean, this, whether, whether, uh, you know, Joe Biden, Joe Biden has won the presidency, obviously, but there's still, 70 million people in this country who voted for President Trump. And I think Joe Biden strikes me as a decent human being who's trying to be conciliatory um, and bring unity to a lot of division. And I I applaud him for that. Um, I was I was talking without giving away who this is. I was talking with a family member recently who voted for Obama and and then voted for Trump and would vote vote for him again and he we were talking about why he did not like Obama's presidency even though he voted for him I think both times he said uh, he basically ran off and left most of the country and I was uh, tell me tell me more about that and I remember reading in the Times uh, a couple of weeks after the 2016 election that the day that President Trump was announced as being a president-elect, Obama gets in the car with his chief of staff and he asks, did we push too hard? Did we push too fast and move too soon? And I think the answer to that probably is yes now. I, at the time, I didn't. But moving back here... I think we are a, a diverse nation of a lot of different ideologies. And yes, there's a lot of like 
you know, I think the 24-hour news cycle has been incredibly toxic to political discourse and creating ideological bubbles and um, whatnot. But the thing that I think if we're going to be a democracy, then we've got to stop going scorched earth on each yeah. other. Like, the, I, I heard a good pastor friend say this week, the thing that um, Republicans do is they leverage the virtue of people who care about the unborn lives against uh, for, for other means. And so because we have this noble cause, and it is noble, we will go scorched earth um, on yeah. on without compromise for anything, and I I get it. It's it's evil. And then on the other hand, we can leverage the virtue of caring about people of color, which is a noble cause. But we can go scorched earth on every other kind of thing when you know the the truth is it's not that everybody's good, and but it, it we. We all have, if we're going to be, you know, 300 million people living in this democracy, politics involves compromise and modest progress and sometimes giving up, you know, things that you would not want to give yeah. up for the sake of the greater good and those kind of things. And that doesn't seem like it's happening. Yeah, yeah it seems that uh, when you feel that you are fighting for God, that you can do some of the most ungodly things. When you feel like God's cause rests on your shoulders, then there is no room for compromise. There is no room for you know half steps because you you believe that this is the one right thing, and that no one else has any other claim to be doing something that has the level of like value and importance of what you're doing. So I, yeah, I think um, it seems that everything happens in p- pendulums, like pendulum swings, that we go yeah, all the sure, way this way, sure. we're going all the way back. And I, like, I feel like that question from Obama is, uh, you know, a really important question that, you know, both sides need to ask is, you, you go so far one way, and if we would be fools to think that the largest turnout that we've ever had, or one of the largest turnouts we've had at the polls, it's obviously, I think there was one uh, larger years before, but the largest turnout at the polls in many years isn't a backlash to Trump would be um, like, there's no way to see that. Like obviously in the same way that Obama said, maybe we pushed too far. Maybe the Republicans go, we, you know, we pushed too far. And that's why we had such this, this backlash of people who voted not so much for someone as much as they voted against Trump. And you go, yeah, we're, when we can't, when we can't see people as, anything other than our enemies, instead of simply this is a political opponent, we see them as our mortal enemy. And so this happens. And so on a personal level, you know, one of the practices that I've tried to have for the last, I think it's been about two years, I've had this, uh, this kind of line in my head where I go, no kill shots. And whenever you find yourself in a situation with someone else where there's a way for you to end things, this is not me speaking for other people, this is for me personally, when I find myself in a situation with someone else in which I know you could play this and all of a sudden that person can't recover from it, to not do that. Because I feel like one of the things I appreciate is a graceful way to lose and to give someone like a, a, a valiant way to come in second. And when you go for kill shots and when you don't give someone a graceful chance to, to step out or, or to, to come in second place or to lose, what you do is you create an enemy. And you create a person who, yeah. who in the same way that out of the ashes of you know, World War II's rubble from Germany, you know, the Third Reich and Adolf Hitler rise, sometimes when you create a kill shot and someone has to come out of the ashes, what you're going to get is a worse version of what you're fighting in the first place. And I think... That actually... Go ahead. No, I think compromise help, that, us, help us get there. Yeah, that's right. I mean, like, it, it just realizes you are you have limited power. You're trying to, like, do... And, and this is something I think Joe Biden has done historically well, is bring compromise and... Um, I think it's part of what a good leader looks like in a democracy. But I also think you only get as good of politicians as you do the people yep. voting for you. Yep. And um, the last few election cycle seasons, I think um, Americans love to complain about the politicians without realizing it's a mirror on who we are. Yes, sir. And if you, if, if you go scorched earth on 
every time, you know, people don't immediately buy into your like North star, then this is where we wind up. And, you know, ironically, there was a story on this American life a few years ago about how, um, the pro-choice and pro-life people in a large city, I can't remember which one, they were saying the most hateful things about each other and then they started going to lunch. Hmm. And they weren't, they, neither one would tell their bases what they were doing, but they were just trying to be like, how do you, and they were basically trying to talk through why these issues mattered so much to them. And it wound up changing the tone of their kind of, uh, they, I can't remember what it was, but I think there was some really positive movement out of there. Like uh, Planned Parenthood was supported except for abortion, you know, mm. that taxpayer money from that uh, would only go to, you know, yeah. doing certain services for women, but not that. I mean, it was stuff like that that may not sound huge for either side, but also we do not – live in a country where everybody shares the Christian ethic of, of things. And so we, we have to acknowledge like we are in a low power position. And by the way, when we say God is sovereign, here's what that meant for the early Christians. Today we argue about health care. They started hospitals. Today we argued about, we argue about, you know, whether or not, baby like abortion is legal they picked up babies who were dying of exposure today we argue about you know tax rates and personal property rates they had no personal property and shared it with each other as they had need that's what it means to say god is sovereign it means king jesus gets to tell me what to do with my life with my you know resources my time those kind of things and i i think voting is a cop out if it if if how you vote makes you Christian, yeah. Oh yeah, it's it, all of a sudden being a Christian and being a disciple is relegated to just where I put a, a mark on a ballot. And and Richard Beck and Richard Beck says the same thing. He uh, he's got this new book coming out that's really good called Honey Magic Gills, and he said that slowly over time in his experience with progressive students, uh, being a good person, uh, being like Jesus is code for being a good person. And what that means is basically voting Democrat. And then he talks about his experience with conservative students. Same mm-hmm. thing. Like being a good person. If that's what it means is to vote good. Like voting matters, but that's not what makes you a good person. Yep. Um, you know, it, it's – anyway. Yep. The fruits of the spirit, the inhabiting, living out the, king, the values and ethics of the kingdom of God, those are things that last forever. Uh, in a hundred years, people will no more know Joe Biden's name than people know Chester Arthur's name. And Chester Arthur was a president of the United States. I knew that. I was just seeing if you did. Yeah. I yeah, knew sure, that. Sure. I knew that. Yeah. Can I be honest, Jonathan? That was good. That, that last little rant you did, that was pretty solid. You should have started with that, though. <laughs> just, you should, you should yeah. have led with that content. That was, that was good. Thanks, yeah. man. Well, I feel like we solved politics. I feel like uh, 48 yep. minutes into this, and that's going to solve the, uh, you know, all the divisions that we have. So congrats. I think you're welcome, America. Yeah, you're welcome, America. Jonathan, great to have you back on your Sunday, uh, a special Sunday pod. This was, you know, this was good. Yeah, it was. It was good. Let's not do Sundays regularly. Yeah, I don't like this usually. We had to wait till some kind of decision was made to. to yeah, because we we were going to record this on Thursday, and it would have been a drastically different conversation on Thursday, which speaks yeah. to like how things are just yeah. changing so fast. And yeah, sure, we, sure. We need people who are less entrenched in their sort of like, hey, this is what the right thing is. No, uh, things are going to be different. It's going to look different. Does this yeah. does this come out tomorrow? Yeah, I'll, I'll go post it right away. Okay, so hopefully things haven't changed too. <sighs> Too drastically between now and the next 12 hours. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Um, anyway, here we go. Um, next week, we've got uh, the Bishop Michael Curry back on the podcast. And so by then, uh, he'll have solved everything. So whatever you left uh, unfinished, he'll, he'll complete. Good. Good for him. I'm glad you have 
better friends than this. <laughs> right on, man. All right, Jonathan, great to have you back on the podcast. And uh, everyone go check out uh, Carp Song. We're going to play some more of it on the way out, uh, can I be honest? And um, yeah, that's it. Any final words, Stormy? Uh, nothing more than cliches and apologies to yeah, good. Brother Carl. So, to who? Brother Carl. Throwing shade at the beginning unintentionally. Brother Carl. Brother Carl. I was I was thinking of Hillsong. Hill oh, song. Carl Lentz. I was thinking of my daughter Adeline's yeah. hamster named Carl. <laughs> yeah, that's who I'm talking about. <laughs> oh, What's that?